It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. You know, there's been many times in history where just a, a single word or a very, very short speech has turned the tide of wars, of loss, of defeat, of games. I think of coaches and the power and the influence they have over their players. When I was privileged to be the dean of students at Trinity Baptist College, there was a coach there who was a godly man and just loved his players, and his name was Pat Milligan. And uh, Pat would get so excited during games, sometimes as I sat there watching him play, he'd get somewhat tongue-tied and be uncertain as to what to say to the players. And in the fullness of his heart and his passion, sometimes what would come out, I remember one time particularly, where he just simply said, do the thing, do the thing. And it was amazing because whatever the thing was, the players rallied to that passion and uh, turned the tide of that game. Well, that's what's going on here in Luke chapter number 24. Uh, And by the way, Luke 24 marks the uh, 90th episode of my In the Word podcast and today concludes our journey through the four Gospels since we put John first and came back to Luke. Well, in Luke chapter 24, it's the day of the resurrection, and we pick up the story in verse 13 with these two men who are walking from Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus. And it says in verse 13, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score, about 60 furlongs. Now, what is a furlong? A furlong is the Greek word stadion. It's where we get the modern word stadium. Well, a stadion was 600 Greek feet. And so you got 60 times 600, you divide that by a mile, and today's standard, you come out about seven miles. Well, the reality is a foot, a Greek foot, was measured differently depending on where you were. So we don't know exactly, but we're guessing, we're figuring somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half miles that these guys were walking. Verse 14. And they talked together of all the things which happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So Jesus starts traveling along with these guys. But God kind of held back their eyes so they didn't know who Jesus was. He hadn't yet revealed himself to them. And verse 17 says, and he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and you are sad? So he's saying, what are you guys talking about? What is making you so sad on this journey? Now, they began to talk to him and said, hey, didn't you hear what happened in Jerusalem today? How Jesus was crucified. And they're saying, like, are you a stranger? Are you just a visitor to this area? Do you not know what's going on? And they were very saddened about the death of Jesus. They were saddened that he was taken from them and they no longer had his company. And they were saddened, they said here, because they believed that he was the one that God would send to deliver them from the Roman oppression and reestablish the kingdom in all of its glory. And they were talking about the sadness and his death and all of this. And then Jesus, still unknown to them, in verse 25, says to them, O fools, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses 
and all the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Moses is the first five books of the Bible. And then you have the prophets and then the Psalms. He expounded to them all the scriptures in all the scriptures, the things about himself. And they drew near to the village where they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, stay with us, for it's toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. So you got these two guys walking from Jerusalem, seven miles or so to their hometown of Emmaus. And Jesus comes along unknown to them and he begins opening the scripture to them. And basically what he's showing them is from the Old Testament, starting back in Genesis, probably the first prophecy of Christ's death. He says from Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible and the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament, excluding the Psalms. And he begins to show them in scripture after scripture, quoting to them how that when the Messiah came, that he would have to die. And that's why he said in verse 26, wasn't this supposed to happen? Ought not Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things? And so he calls them. He says, why are you so slow to believe what the Bible says? Now, this happens all the time. People of good heart and of good faith and of good nature get so caught up in their own emotions that they miss the teaching of Scripture. And in place of the foundation of the word, they add all kinds of emotion and experience and in other things. And they begin to drift away, not, un not intentionally, but from being grounded in the truth of scripture. So Jesus calls them back to the scripture and they continue to walk. And it says in verse 28, when they drew near to the village where they were going, Jesus made as if he was going to go further. So he was like, well, well, I'll see you. I'm going to keep going. And they were like, no, no, no. And they constrained him to stay with them. What you're seeing is a very common custom in the ancient Middle East. It's the custom of hospitality. You see, it was expected because there's no hotels, inns and lodges that if there was a visitor, a foreigner, a stranger in your midst, that you brought him into your house and you provided food. This was, You see this going on on throughout the New Testament. You see it in Luke 10 where Jesus sent out the 70. He said, whoever receives you, you go into their house and whatever they give you to eat, you eat it. Don't go from house to house. He's teaching them that the customs. Hey, even with Jesus, with Martha and Mary in Luke 10, it says while Jesus was traveling, Mary welcomed them into their house. So this was one of the very basic customs of their day um, of welcoming a stranger in. So it was kind of like this cultural dance. So the stranger says, no, 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 I, I'm just going to go down here. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to come. We won't have it. You come into our house. So this is what's going on. So you get it. They're the hosts. He's the guest, right? That means the duty of hospitality was placed upon them to prepare him a room, maybe even a change of clothes, to prepare him food and, and to serve him the food. Just that was the duty of hospitality. But what's interesting is when they got to the house in verse 30, it says it came to pass as he sat at the meal with them. Now get this. He took the bread. He broke the bread. He blessed the bread. 
and he gave the bread to them. Now, don't miss that. It's very odd. It's very unusual because Jesus wasn't the host. They were the host. They were the ones supposing serving him. And it's in that moment of Jesus taking that place of leader that his majesty was revealed to them and perhaps their mind went back to other occasions and other meals with Christ. And he sat there and he broke the bread and he blessed it. And I think he blessed it in his custom and his manner, which we see over in John 17, where it says, these words spake Jesus and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, so I see Jesus breaking this bread and lifting it up before the father and asking God's blessing on it. And in those words and in that lordship and leadership, the Bible tells us, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Man, they were like, it's, it's Jesus. And this is so cool. It says, and he vanished out of their sight. Now, I don't know about you, man, people vanishing out of your sight, that'll blow your mind. But that's God we're talking about here. This is God in the flesh. Nothing like that should ever blow our mind. When it comes to God, the miraculous should be the expected, not the exception. And their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they began to talk. And I love this. And they said to each other in verse number 32, did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture. Man, they said, wasn't our heart burning when he was talking? Weren't we feeling the passion of these words? And so in that moment, they became aware that this was the one, the one speaking into them all this time on the journey was Jesus. And, and the words of Jesus, man, it gave life and it gave power to them. And these two discouraged saddened men when he found them were so motivated by what he said. Look what it says. And they rose up in verse 33. They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together. You get this? They've been walking nearly seven miles and it's near the evening and they're eating their dinner and they're going to go to bed soon but the words of Christ were so life-giving and so powerful that, man, they just jumped up and they turned right around on the nearly seven-mile journey right back to Jerusalem to share what was going on in them. Man, that is the power of God's word. That's why the words of God are powerful in living in Hebrews 4.12 it says, for the word of God is alive, it's quick, it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Man, the power of God's word. I think over in Isaiah 55, 11, and where God says, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the reason for which I give it. I think too many times we treat God's word as if it's just another book on the shelf. But the words of God aren't like any other book. These are living words. These are words of power and words of life and words of change and transformation and even motivation, so much so that these tired, weary guys at the end of a seven-mile day, man, jump up and in the strength of his words, turn around and go right back to Jerusalem. So what is the word for today to us? Well, the word for today is this. Man, we need God's word in us today and every day. And like 
Mary in Luke 10, who would not be denied the one thing, the most important thing, which was sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words, that is the needful thing in our life today, to hear the words of Jesus Christ. So no matter what's going on in your life today, no matter how busy you are, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter how insurmountable the problem may be that you're facing today, do not, do not, do not approach it and approach this day without the life-giving power of God's word to us. How our hearts can burn, how our lives can be changed when we take heed to the words of the Lord. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.